Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and shortly we will be starting our next episode. We will be providing you tools, resources, and information that you can use to make your life just a little bit better. But before we do that, let's honor our country, and then we'll begin the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard. And tonight, for this episode, episode 47, I am joined by a special guest, Mr. John Davis. And I want to tell you a little bit about Mr. Davis before we bring him on the line with us uh, for this episode. Um, let me go ahead and click on, there we go. I just had to get the right, right stuff here, so bear with me a second, folks. Okay, uh, just to give you a little information about Mr. Davis, um, he has lived, uh, lived a life of an action hero. He has been a professional fight director and a stuntman for stage and screen, an artistic director of three regional theme parks, a sword fighting comedian, and a motivational speaker, author, and coach. He has been featured on the Today Show and the Discovery Channel, after the events of 9-11-2001, John has brought his inspirational message to 30 countries around the world, including front lines of both Iraq and Afghanistan on six, count them, six USO tours. Uh, prepare to become action heroes. And please welcome John Davis to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here and an honor to be here in, uh, with a whole bunch of action heroes. Uh, our, our men and women of, the, of our services are uh, true action heroes because the word action means create motion, start momentum, or to do something. And a hero is someone who achieves extraordinary results in service of others. And that's what our, our service people do every day. And uh, I, I, the least I could do on those USO tours was make those people laugh for what they have done for me. Absolutely. Let's let's get into the you did six separate USO tours. And what was your overall takeaway from the men and women that you that you met during those? Well, tours? you know, the USO tours to me was in my for, for me personally was the most important thing I ever did in my life. Um, when I when I was uh, let me kind of back up and tell you how I got to do the USO tours and tell you how I kind of got into it on September 8th, 2001. I can't get this. September eighth, 
on a Saturday afternoon, I had two gentlemen from the Pentagon walk up to a show that I was stepping off of stage of. I was doing my hack and slash comedy show at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. As I stepped off the stage, these two guys walked up and said, hey, we've been watching your shows for years. Would you be interested in doing USO shows? And they're like, sure, we'd love to. So on Monday, September 10th, 2001, we dropped our packet off at, at their office. And of course, September 11th was Tuesday. Um, they immediately shut down all their offices and we had, didn't hear anything. And then they contacted us um, three weeks later and they said, hey, can you go right away? Well, and for all of you who are in the military, you know that right away means several weeks. And uh, <laughs> um, so, right. I, so I ended up um, you know, getting our shots and doing all our stuff. And they, they sent us uh, from November to February of that year. So I had the opportunity to see the buildup and the movement of soldiers over to Afghanistan. So we were in bases in England and they were sleeping in the hallways and then um, it seemed like everywhere we went, we were on the base where the big news thing was happening. Like when CNN first saw planes landing in England, getting ready to go to Afghanistan, on the news that night with these planes landing, I watched those planes landing at that base. Um, and the, you know, so I was watching this buildup, and I was watching the the men and women literally just doing their thing, you know. And to me, it was so empowering and impressive to see how, how selfless every one of them was as they were doing it. So they sent us across Europe, that first tour. We actually did England, Iceland, Norway, Germany, Belgium, and Holland. And, and it was great because everyone was building up for that, for going to Afghanistan. And then the second tour, they sent us back to Europe again. But at this point, most people had been moved into, into theater. And so we were in a space of uh, now going to bases in Europe to, to entertain soldiers and most of the soldiers weren't there any longer, you know, and they would show up in the bases and, you know, they'd forget that we were coming. <laughs> so it was a very unique tour. So I kept telling the, I kept telling the, um, the tour manager, I said, you know, you need to, you really, you're wasting us because we, we can go anywhere you want us to go and are willing to go anywhere you want us to go. And by our third tour, um, Iraq had already begun and, we, we, um, okay, I just kept telling them, send this, don't send this, send this where they need it, send this where I need it. And the third tour, I was found myself standing on the flight line in Fallujah talking to a lieutenant colonel. And I was telling him the story about how I kept telling him it was to send us further down range. And I finished the word range and a quarter mile off to my left, a bomb blew up. <laughs> and the colonel, without flinching a beat, he, he kind of turned, he looked at me, he says, son, you can't get further downrange. <laughs> um, it was, it was to me as I, as I went out there, you know, and those tours were so incredible. I mean, I, I talk to soldiers and they tell me things like, like, you know, it's like groundhog day, but every day somebody's trying to kill you, you know, and, it's, and that, that repetitive action. And so what I was trying to do was, was come out and break that groundhog day cycle for them. So we would show up and we would bring a two, we bring four comedians with us, me, my partner, and two other comedians. And we would do a two hour show, but it was not your ordinary show. We did sword fights, bull whips, beds of nails, unicycle riding, ladder walking, uh, and, and, you know, audience interaction. We did a big, almost like a giant circus. And we showed up in, in uh, Renaissance clothing. So we were like wearing funny clothes. So imagine, 
you're sitting out there in the middle of Afghanistan or Iraq and two Black Hawk helicopters land and, you know, a bunch of crates come out of one, but one and four guys step out of the other one dressed in Renaissance clothing in the middle of Iraq. You know, my, my biggest, my biggest fear was not, not the bombs. It was being, you know, left behind in an Iraqi city wearing tights. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that would be bad, right? <laughs> it would be really, really bad. Um, but yeah, we, um, that those tours, I, my gosh, we had so many just profound experiences. Um, we were one time doing a, in the middle of a show on one base and it right in the middle of the show, these two guys walked up on, walked up on the stage from backstage, walked out onto the stage and stopped the show and asked for specific blood types and the medical people to go to the hospital because they had, they had wounded coming in. And, um, and then, of course, being the comedian, our job is now to take who doesn't go and put them back into laugh mode. So it's kind of a, it's kind of, we got, got the wind knocked out of us for a second because, you know, the reality of where we are, and what we're doing. Um, but I kept, you know, it was, so, it was so amazing to hear how appreciative all the soldiers were that we were there. Um, I remember, I remember in a, a Ramadi, I was, we had, been there for a while and, and we actually performed our show in the motor pool because they didn't want to put us outside because that we could be a target. And so we were in the, we were in the motor pool and I finished the show and this soldier walked up to me and says, Mr. Davis, he says, well, thank you for coming. He says, this morning I was in a firefight and this afternoon for two hours, I was able to forget that. And that to me was everything because it was literally, we, I felt like we were the pressure release valve. We were like releasing some of the pressures Right. Um, and then on top of that, when we were in Bagram, we kept saying, you know, well, can we go, you know, we, one of our shows was either canceled or moved back a day and we had a day off and we're like, well, we're here. We still want to make a, an impact. Can we, is there, a, can we go to the hospital and see, you know, you know, do something for those people that are in the hospital? And they said, sure. And we got there and they're, they're looking at us. Are you sure you want to go here? Okay, he says, you know, the, the soldiers aren't here. They're in Ramstein. He says, what we have in here really is, is Afghan locals. And I was like, well, then I really want to do it because I, I need them to see that, uh, that you know, we uh, Americans are not all, you know, <laughs> toting a gun. Some of us are there to make you smile too, right? Yeah, because, right. you know, so I went in and the room was filled with Afghan children who had, who had walked in the minefields. Or, and one kid was ca- carrying bags of gas and somehow the gas got ignited and he was burned all head to toe. And I was traveling with a young a man named Todd Key, who is just an amazing individual all the way across the board. And Todd looked at this little girl, a little, little Afghan girl who was sitting there and she was just watching us, you know, very not really trusting what we were doing or, you know, who are these weird people? And Todd looked at her and he gave her what I call the Santa twinkle where he just kind of gave her the little glint in the eye and she smiled and he reached into his bag of tricks and he pulled out a ball and he threw it up in the air and he started spinning it on his finger, like a, like a Harlem Globetrotter. And he walks over and he looks at her and she's looking at him and he points at her hand. Now her left hand was bandaged and in a cast, her right hand had a, a, a bandage around her wrist, but it was movable. So he looks at her hand, he points at it and he points, her, points his finger up and then she puts her finger up. And he puts the ball on her finger and it's sitting there spinning. And um, she's overjoyed, right? So then he reaches into his bag of tricks. And he pulls out a short length of rope and he starts rocking it back and forth. And he throws it up in the air and ties it in a knot in midair. 
And she's just blown away. She's amazed. So he reaches into his bag, pulls out a second rope, and he starts teaching her how to do it. But she's not really getting it very well. So he goes behind her. He takes her hand, and he shows her the gesture of how to do it. And she gets it. Now she's tying knots with the rope like crazy. Things are going crazy. So we went around. We talked to everybody. We made everybody laugh. We did all kinds of funny. They did juggling over the hospital beds. And it was really kind of a, a really cool experience. As we're leaving the hospital, a doctor walks up to us. He says, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming. Um, I want to share a little story with you. He says, that little girl that you, your friend was working with there, uh, she's been with us for five weeks. And the only time we can get her blood pressure is when she's asleep because she won't let any of us touch her arms. And you just not only touched her arms, you swung her arms with a rope in them. And right after you were done, we were able to get her blood pressure for the first time while she was awake. She says, you have no idea what you're doing while you're, while you're here, which is really why I think that that's some of the most important work, important things I've ever done in my life is that I was there in, in their times of need and my soldiers' times of need. And, you know, just being there and being able to serve was, was hugely important. And I know every day that's what soldiers do. Every day they're, they're there in service. We have an all-volunteer military and they volunteer to go anywhere in the world to defend my freedom. And so because of that, I could think of no better way than to make them laugh for a couple hours. Well, that's an amazing, amazing story. It, it shows, it shows the, um, the power of humanity and, and, uh, and, and the smile, you know, um, I know for, I was fortunate in my seven years in the army. I never, uh, I, I wasn't in theater. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't experience that. Uh, I know a lot of our veterans did and um, they became very emotionally attached to a lot of children over there uh, as well as pets. Yeah. You know? There, there um, was one soldier that I met. Uh, he was a Sergeant major in Bagram and <clears throat> the way I met him was very interesting. I was in the, I was in the DFAC and I was eating lunch and over on the one corner of the DFAC were, was a table full of Afghan children. And I was like, you know, our, 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 our um, chaperone on the base was a, a major name, first name of Carl, I believe Carl Sign, I think was his name. And, um, and uh, I said, Carl, what, what, what's going on over there? And he says, those are the Sergeant Major's kids. I said, what's that? Well, what he, what the Sergeant Major had done was he had taken the Boy Scouts manual and he combined it with their, their faith, you know, their, their Muslim faith. And he kind of created a, a set of rules and things that they had to go through to earn their badges. And the Sergeant Major was on his fifth deployment to Bagram because he wouldn't leave until they finished. Cause he wow. stayed there to take those kids all the way through. And they were the Sergeant major's kids. And wow. You know, what an impact he must've made on those kids lives. What an incredible, incredible experience they must've had. And, and that is, that is a story of many where the average person doesn't quite understand the mindset of a veteran of a military person. Um, as hard as they may be, as hard or as, as you know, rough and, rough and tough, um, 
I, I think our American troops have the biggest hearts in the world and, and, uh, and, and the majority of them, they feel, they hurt, they have empathy and they are there for us and the country, but they still have that humanity or that, that, you know, that, that, right. that caring uh, aspect. Well, um, well, you know, like I, like I said, it was, it's an all volunteer military and that means they had to actively choose to put themselves in potential harm's way. And, you know, that takes a very special person. And then you have to think about what's the reason why. Well, the reason why is they're defending our freedoms. They're, they're making the world better. They're, you know, the military goes into places that are, that are worse off and, and helps try to recover it, you know. And <clears throat> you look at the, even the National Guard, you know, when, when we have problems, they're the ones we call. They're the ones who come, right? And so the, to me, it's really, it, you know, you can't say enough about the military in, in my, my opinion, because, I, you know, and they, they get stuff done. To, to give you an interesting story, um, the USO, they, they treated us like, well, they gave us GS-15 status. So when I met the Lieutenant Colonel, he told me I outranked him. And so he, he literally said, look at your ID you, you're a full bird. I'm a, I'm a Lieutenant Colonel, so you can call me Eddie. Right? So I called him Eddie. Right. Um, and it was great, great. but um, you know, they treated us really, really, really well, but um, they also had a job to do. And we, we understood that because we also were coming over there, the job came first. And to give you an example of this, when uh, I don't know if you remember during the war, there was an attack on a mosque near a town called Samara. And uh, it was the, either the Shia attacked the Sunni or vice versa. I forget which one. And um, we had a base right next to that town. And they loaded us on two choppers and we flew into that town the week after that attack. And it was a very tense time. The base had no defac because they, you have a defac, you have a target. So they, we flew in on two Blackhawks. They landed us. They got off the Blackhawks. They had People unload the front chopper, which has our equipment. We got out of the back chopper. The Black Hawks left as fast as possible. Couldn't stay on the ground because they'd be a target. You know, they get the planes in the air, as they say. You know, <laughs> um, So they said, no, no defect here, guys. So go over to that trailer, get your lunch, and then scatter and find some place to eat where you're not creating a giant group because you'll become a target. So we went over, got our food, and we, we came out. And it was just the four of us, and we found a uh, – found a Humvee and we hopped up in the Humvee. We ate lunch and then we finished that. And we, um, we went in and we, we got all set up to do our show. We had all these boxes, all these things we had to set up, did a two, two and a half hour show long and then packed it all down. And the soldiers took our equipment out to the, the, the LZ. And then we came out to the LZ and the two chapters come flying in. They land, we hop in, get all strapped in the two choppers tip to take off from the LZ and the rocket propelled grenade goes underneath the helicopter I'm sitting in and blew up the Humvee I had lunch in. Wow. And then we're the only birds in the air. And so we went hunting. And, you know, because we were in the chopper, we were the only, only ones in the area. So we had to go looking for the guys who shot it. And we did not find it. But that was a very surreal experience to be doing sweeping actions over top of the city of Samara and watching the the locals diving under cars and trailers and trying to get so they're not going to get shot. Um, but yeah, if somebody 
absolutely tried to get us. You know, it was <laughs> it was an interesting experience. But you know, we were there, and it didn't matter if if civilians or USO people were in the helicopter. The job comes first, and I totally appreciate that. It's the way it should right. be. I one of the biggest reasons that I'm that I'm you know honored and I'm ex- excited to have you on the podcast is uh, I've since January when I launched the Men on a Mission podcast. I firmly, with all my heart, believe that my brothers and sisters in arms across the United States, um, there there needs to be a national movement a national mission and we have a reservoir of strong leaders in our military ranks that need to step forward because as a country i think we're facing a lot of challenges and that's my whole goal with the podcast is to make action heroes to make uh, to, to find that that inner action hero uh, within our veterans, um, get them past the pain and the fear and the suicidal, you know, thoughts and the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the black cloud that's over so many of them, because I believe that it's time for veterans to step up into a place of leadership within the civilian world and within right. our country. Right. So, yeah. um, I, in the second segment, I will get into what you do and, and the training that you do. Um, but, uh, but you're, you know, you're right on point and um, you know, I think we both have that special place in, in our hearts for the veterans, because I, I you know, I, I can't say it enough. We really need them. Now we, we need leaders and we need people that we can count on. And, uh, you know, to the men and women that listen to my show, I, I, I call out to them and it's like, it's time to stand and, uh, and offer your shoulder to people because we really need, you know, some strong pillars of strength. Well, and, you know, you know, the military is about truth and honor and, and, and helping. And so we really need those kind of, um, those kind of feelings, those kind of sentimentalities of, of the truth and honor to be forefront in our country right now, right now, there's so much just junk, <laughs> you know, there's so uh-huh. much, you know, whatever you want, you know, I don't want to get real political on you because, and I won't because I, I think that that's not necessarily what it's about. But I think that, I think that we really need to see some of those really amazing leaders um, from the military who have, like, I remember I, there's one on YouTube, there's one um, speech that I, I've spotted several times. It's, it's a, a general, a general or a colonel, I forget which one, but there was a racial incident on one base. And the speech that he did was, went viral because this is, if you're th- thinking any one of your brothers in arms is less than you because of their race or their gender, then leave the military now mm-hmm. because that's not what we're about. And I think that's the, that's the stuff that we need to see in this country is that sort of mental fortitude to say that is just wrong and mm-hmm. we are not going to take that anymore. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think it's, and I, I you know, unfor- unfortunately, I think that, you know, politics and religion get mixed too much. And I, I, I don't think you can, you can run a, a melting pot country and try to go by one and try to rule it by one 
religious value. You've got to make it fair and broad and come from a place of, place of love and respect mm-hmm. and as opposed to fear and judgment. And you've got to, you've got to get yourself into that place. And I think the, I think the majority of the military is that way. But as you said, you know, um, every member, every segment of society has some bad apples. There's, mm-hmm. there's, 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 there's bad in, in, in every, every segment. And, but I think, I think the majority of people in the world are good. It's just a matter of, you know, the good people need to start getting stronger and standing up and saying, that's not right. Bingo. Bingo. That's <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Right on the money. Um, it, exactly. I do my best to stay away from any kind of political aspect to my show. What I, what I, what I, what, what I, what I want uh, the show to be is, um, is maybe a wake up call, maybe a tool, maybe, um, you know, a shoulder to cry on if need be. Um, But I believe that I, I see the military life and the civilian life is so different. Um, Military people that are amongst one another have a completely different energy and a completely different um, mission, a completely different uh, a set of honor rules, uh, social etiquette, and that's lacking in the civilian world. And so that is, that's what I'm working towards is, See, is encouraging that. The civilian world has gotten too much into its consumerism. And when I was, when I was traveling through Egypt, I, I, and that is a wonderful trip. I was speaking to two Muslim men and they got me into a conversation about, you know, why does America support Israel? And I, my response to them was, I said, there's only a f- small number of people in the, in the, in America who know why America is supporting Israel. And I said, the majority of Americans are too worried about what they're about to buy on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not even thinking any broader or, or what's going on around the world. They're not thinking in those regards. I said, but because you people live right here, it's very forefront in your mind. But you know, it's it's really not uh, something that Amer- most Americans even think about. Correct. Because they're they're too busy with in their consumerism and get what getting the next Apple Watch. <laughs> you know, and, mm-hmm. and I think that we've gone down this this um, this road of of being like who's got the best what that we're forgetting that the most important thing we can do is compassionate. And, and empathetic to other people and, you know, all love one another. You know, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you, if you want to put it into any, any sort of religious perspective, you know, <laughs> it says right in the Bible, love one another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cut and cut and dry. Um, right, we're, right. we're fixing to go to break here in just a couple minutes. Um, but uh, before you, you know, on the way out uh, to the break, the me society or the, or the, you know, Americans being looked at as being very self-centered. Uh, I believe that's, that's true in many cases. Um, and, and like you said, so many Americans don't even, they don't even know why, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and their sphere or their life isn't really expanded into that, you know, outside of themselves. When it comes to the military and, and something that I believe uh, when it when it comes to action heroes, okay, to go back to you, uh, go, go go back to your banner, operating in 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 a civilian life, and not having 
that structure and support and camaraderie and, and not knowing that you can meet a stranger and that person will not give their life to save yours more mm-hmm. often than not. And that is a very powerful aspect to why so many veterans are struggling right now because mm-hmm. the civilian world does not have a place for them in their heart. Right. And, and they struggle with that. Um, one of my, um, one of my clients that, that I mentor, he told me, uh, he said, Brad, he said, I will, he said, I can't, I can't see myself ever being a servant. He said, I can't see myself serving other people. And, uh, I told him, yeah, I'll, I'll use Bob in place of his name. And I said, Bob, you have already served mankind. You've already mm-hmm. served humanity by committing to yourself and other people that were in your company or in your platoon and, uh, and we're in, we're in service to the country. And he believed that he lost that and that he could never serve again because he was no longer in the military. And I want people as veterans to know that that is, it doesn't end when you get out of the military, serving other people is just the beginning. And there's a lot of people in the civilian world that needs that. And, and quite honestly, the, 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 the greatest amount of service that anyone who, who has done their time in the military can do is come out and serve as an example of what can be. Uh, you know, Gandhi says you must be the change you want to see in the world. If you can make your part of the world a little better, then you're, you're, doing, you're serving well. And that's all you really need to do. Absolutely. And with that note, we're going to take a short break. Folks, we have been talking with John Davis. He is the corporate action hero. And and we're going to get into some of the meat and potatoes of that. He's helping a lot of people through comedy and through, uh, through his process of the five Fs. And you can talk about that uh, when we come back from break. But we're going to get into, uh, in, into some specifics. Um, when we come back. So stick with us and we will be right back shortly. Welcome our new sponsor, Scars and Stripes Coffee Company. They empower veterans to build their own business using their e-commerce platform. When you purchase from Scars and Stripes Coffee, you are buying from a veteran and your purchase directly impacts the men and women who have served our country. Do more than say, thank you for your service. Order today and empower a veteran. Use vet code Brad Richard at scarsandstripescoffee.com. That's scarsandstripescoffee.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Men on a Mission podcast. We are speaking with a, uh, with a great man, Mr. John Davis, and he was talking about his six tours with the USO in uh, Iraq uh, and uh, Afghanistan. Uh, I know that he has some more uh, great stories that he's going to share with us, uh, but we want to get into uh, a system that he has, the five F's. And is there, is there more? It's, it, it's the five F's of achievement, of achievement. Or, the five F pro- or the five F protocols, either one. The five F protocols. So we're going to get into that because John is here uh, tonight for you, the listener, uh, the family member, 
the man or the woman uh, that either served or is currently serving in the military. He is here to help you bring out that inner uh, action hero. So John, go ahead and get started with the five F's because I'm, sure, I can't wait to, sure. I can't wait to hear them. <laughs> well, to, 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 to lead into it, I just need to give a little backstory on me and how I found them first. Um, at, 20, at 22 years old, I was well on the way to becoming a stuntman and a fight director, and I was working towards my black belt in Taekwondo. And I was, I was fit. And back in the day, I had long Fabio hair. Now I have Telly Savalas hair. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, was, I was literally a very muscular, very healthy young man. And a buddy of mine asked me to come out and help him unload his van, which was full of boxes of clay. Uh, he was a professional potter. And I climbed up in that van. I picked up that very first box. And when I turned to set it outside of the van, my spine broke in two. And I collapsed and was paralyzed. They took me to the doctor. And the doctor says, Mr. Davis, you have a condition known as spina bifida, occulta. Uh, basically, three of my vertebrae never formed properly at birth. And that day, with the extra 80 pounds and the twisting action, I broke my spine in half. He says, wow. you'll, he says you'll probably never walk again. And if you do walk again, you'll never have a physical career. So now my dream in life had been to be a fight director and a stuntman and to do very physical things. So I'm lying in that hospital bed and someone came along and gave me a book. <laughs> and it seems like a cruel joke now when you think back on it. He gave the martial artist who was just told he'd never do martial arts again, a martial arts book by the greatest martial arts <laughs> artist that ever lived. He gave me the Tao Jeet Kune Do by Bruce Lee. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so... People think it was a cruel joke, but it was the greatest thing that could have happened to me for a couple of reasons. One, Bruce wrote that book when he was lying in a hospital bed and had just been told he'd never do martial arts again. He went on to do every movie that he'd ever done that we all ever known him for. And two, uh, that book is, is a book of philosophy. And, and it talks about martial arts, but it talks about his philosophies of martial arts. And there's a couple of things in there that hit me really powerfully. One of them was present moment, staying very present. And second one was flexibility, mental flexibility. You know, as I, as I began to work my body and work my way through, uh, at day three, I had started to flex the muscles in my neck, and I slowly started flexing the muscles down my back. By the third week, I, I actually flexed my hips, so I actually moved below the injury. Um, by day 30, I was, I was um, sitting up on the edge of the bed, and within the next couple of months, I was walking the hallways within a, by the, by the end of a year, I was back to where I would consider a normal person, but not back to my rock hard masculine self. <laughs> um, but, um, but a year and six months, I was back to my rock hard, rock hard masculine self going for my black belt. And I gave myself a gift. I, I climbed up on top of a tower, a three story tower, and I jumped off into a fall pad. And then I went on to do over 4,000 live comedy sword fighting stunt shows all over the world, including those USO tours and working with movie stars in Hollywood. I climbed Mount Sinai. I did, I've, I've been all over the world doing crazy things. Very, very physical life. How do they do it? The five Fs are a process by which we hack our fight or flight response, our primal fear responses, and we break through the learning curve by shortening the time frame that we, of, that we have to process things. And then also developing faith by developing trust over time. And then when things go wrong, we, we have, have to be, remain flexible. So let's start with the first one. The first of the five Fs is fearlessness. Now, when I ask audiences all over the world what fear is, the first thing they say 
is nothing. The rooms go silent. People can't think of a good exa- answer of what fear might be. And then somebody will usually say the old, the old trope, um, false evidence appearing real. <laughs> and, um, and it's like, that's not really what fear is because fear, when you break it down in the, on a scientific level, is an emotional reaction to some future event that may or may not happen with you focusing on a negative outcome. Because if you're focused on a positive outcome, you wouldn't be afraid. So <clears throat> people get into fear. The first thing they, they, they get into, the first thing that happens to them physiologically is they can't, they feel like they can't breathe. Well, it's not that they can't breathe. It's that their body has done the natural primal thing. And it usually starts with a gasp for air. <gasps> you know, we get a, a fear response. <gasps> oh my God. Right. Well, the reason we have that gasp for air and the reason that our primal response does that is so that it fills our lungs to capacity so that we can run further and faster. The reason we can't feel like we can't breathe is because our body is storing air, not that we can't get air. And the interesting thing is if you go to Hollywood and you talk to the, the or, or Broadway even, go to the Broadway, an actor on Broadway walks on stage and they forget all their lines, they have a fear response. They're literally trained to exhale and when they exhale and relax all their muscles, all their lines come right back to their head because they've turned off the survival mechanism, the, the fear response, and turned their cognitive thinking brain back on. So when I was on the front lines of Iraq and Afghanistan, and I was talking to soldiers who had gone into firefights and had, had those issues, I talked to them. I, I said, you know, when you go into this situation, you know you might get shot at. You know you might have an RPG shot at you. You know you, you might get hurt or, or even killed, God forbid. And how can you go into those situations like that? And they started to describe their process. Well, one of the first things they did was like, okay, we're going to do this thing. The first thing they did was exhale. The first thing they said was they say, let the air out of their lungs because it let them think and stay on task, stay on mission. So whenever you have a, whenever you're going through any sort of trauma or tragedy, you know, the biggest fear is how am I going to, what am I going to do next? How am I going to get, how am I going to get through this? And we get into that fear response. You need to give yourself permission to exhale and breathe and just relax. First of all, now that's fearlessness. The second one's focus. Those same soldiers on the front lines, they said, we, you know, well, as they're explaining to me how they, how they did it. The next thing they said was we have an objective. So it's easier for us to set our fear aside because we get focused on an objective. We get focused on a goal. You know, having that focus on where you want to go is, is huge for being able to compartmentalize your fear. So first thing I would say is exhale. Whenever you, whenever you feel negative in any form, exhale. And then get focused on a positive outcome. Um, I can tell you from, from, uh, from experience that when you're standing on a three-story tower looking down at the fall pad, you're not thinking about how you're going to screw up. You're thinking about where the heck you're going to land, <laughs> right? So you want to you want to stay very focused on that positive outcome and putting your butt right in the right place, right? That's that's so you got fearlessly focus. The middle when you look at the number five, there's a middle one, and that middle one supports the two on either side, and that one's faith, belief, confidence. Now I'm not talking spiritual faith, but if you find your faith in spirituality, that's fine, but it's that confidence that you can do something that drives the next of the five Fs. And the next of the five Fs is follow through. You actually have to physically take an action because your present moment is filled with only three things, thought, word, and deed. And if you're, if you're only thinking it and saying it, then you're daydreaming. 
Thought, word, and deed is what is creative. The interesting thing is we go back, going back to focus, that focus on what you're focused on. Your subconscious mind behind you has two jobs. The first one is to store memories of your present moments or the, or the moments that you've had in the past to give you a subconscious belief. The other thing it does is that when you focus on something consciously in this moment, it shows you how to achieve it. And I'll give you an example. I am a big Jeep fan. I love Jeeps. When I drive down the road, I see every Jeep on the road. You know, I've had six of them myself. You know, when, it, when someone decides they're going to buy a car and they choose what kind of car they want, they start seeing that car everywhere because their conscious mind has made a conscious choice. Their subconscious mind is showing them how to achieve it. So now picture this. I'm a negative person. I'm focused on a negative thing. I'm now stacking negative th moments in my subconscious mind to create an under underlying belief of negativity because I'm focused on negativity. Negativity is being shown to me, which creates an unending treadmill of negativity. You know, you've got to literally break the cycle by consciously choosing to look at a positive outcome. And in, in, in Christianity, they, they would call that being born again. You need to set the past down. And what happens is when you start stacking present moment memories they start filling in your subconscious mind behind you as positive memories. And because you're focusing on a positive, now the subconscious mind is showing you positive and stacking. So now you're creating a positive treadmill. The other thing is, is when you're going through trauma or tragedy and, and you're in your moment, you want to be somewhere else, but the brain doesn't put you somewhere else. You are only in your one present moment. And this present moment that thing that you want is coming to you depending on what you do with your present moment. So as a military person, someone who has military training, they know they have tasks to get done. And the tasks are you do the small things to get the big objective done. And so if you can stay in the small present moments and do the positive outcomes, just like a mission, I am staying here and I, my mission is to keep this positive, keep this moment creative and constructive that are in alignment with my, my outcome, my goal, my objective what happens is that outcome comes to you and surrounds your present moment experience. So you have to stay in this moment and be very creative in this moment. So you got to fearlessly focus with faith, follow through. Taking those actions is imperative because as I said before, trust is develop, developed by results over time. The more you stack present moment memories, you're creating these results behind you in your subconscious mind. And the more trust you can create, the more faith you will have. The last one is flexibility. So we got so far, we got fearlessly focused with faith, follow through. The last one's flexibility. Flexibility. Something is always, always going to come up that seems contrary to what you're trying to achieve. Always going to happen. But the thing is, as we've been talking about your subconscious mind being on treadmill back here, right? If you're consciously focused on a positive outcome and something comes up that seems contrary, your subconscious mind is showing you what you need to address to get to your outcome it never shows you what's going to stop you. So you've got to stay on, on objective, on, on target, and, and keep, keep doing the tasks that are in alignment with the outcome. Just like any mission you might ever take in your life, you've got to stay here and get the job done. Just like those soldiers in Samara, who when they took us up in the helicopter and the RPG went under, you know, they were there and they just took the job and they got, got the job done, right? That, that's what they did. That's the way the five Fs work. If you can manage this in your life. Now, now let me jump into how I use this on stage. When I, when I do go into corporations, that's what I do. I awaken their interaction hero. 
I bring someone on stage at the beginning of the show and I pull out a bullwhip and I crack targets out of their hand. Right. And then later on, I do a fancy nunchuck routine talking about mental flexibility and how these two rigid objects only work together when they have flexibility in between. And then the last thing I do, and this is the most important and impactful thing I do. I choose the most timid person I can find in my audience, the person who's so afraid of going on stage and I bring them on stage and I put them in front of the audience. First thing I do is as a leader, I start managing their fear. So I know full well, they're afraid of being in front of their peers. First thing I do is I give them a, a cohort to be in, in, in the trenches with. I say to them, hey, thank you so much for helping me. I acknowledge their service to me. They're there to help me, not to be on the spot. The next thing I do is I turn to my audience and I say, isn't she a rock star? So her biggest fear is what they're going to think of her. So by having them negate that fear right away by saying she's a rock star, I've knocked that out of the out of the, the ballpark already. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a leader, not a dragger. So I'm meeting her where she was and then I get, get her done. So the whole thing culminates in, in under five minutes, she learns to crack a whip and take targets out of my hand just by managing her fears. Wow. Uh, folks, you have to see that. I, I, I've seen the videos. I haven't seen it live, John, but I've seen the videos uh, of that presentation and it is amazing. Um, when I was, when I was, uh, of course, you know, on audio, the, uh, the audience can't, the listeners can't see my hand, but I, I was doing the positive treadmill thing. That's what I was doing oh, with my hand. Cause, cause, <laughs> cause yeah. Cause you were, you, you, you were setting it, you were setting up those positive, uh, injections right. into her by saying, you know, isn't she a rock star? You're here to right. help me. And you were, and you had her on that positive treadmill. And I was building that, building that, the momentum. And the other thing I do, which is really interesting. At one point I pull a target out and I put it in front of her. Now I know she has a whole new fear, right? Her fear is that she's going to hurt me. I literally say to her on stage, I promise you're not going to hurt me. You know, sometimes you just got to lie to people. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, the thing is, you know, leadership is about leading. It's not about dragging. You know, you, you go them to where they are, meet them where they are, and then you lead them. You don't grab them and drag them where, to, where you want them to be. So I have to realize that if I'm leading somebody else, I have to be empathetic enough to understand where they're coming from and meet them where they are. So that's kind of the whole, whole gist of the five Fs. The interesting thing about this is being that the fight or flight response is a primal response. If you're a salesman, it's the same response your customer's going through. And if you can understand where they are and think empathetically about where they are in the process, what's interesting is you end up uh, being able to understand and, and manage their fears and get the sale. If you're a leadership of a team, you, you can, the hierarchies build up inside of teams. If you can understand where they are, you can lead a team better because you can understand where they are in the cycle. And if you're trying to get over something, a, a traumatic injury or, or, try to get over uh, your own self-doubts after a major event, you know, it literally comes down to these are the same steps that you're going through. It's a matter of you taking the chance and taking, being, being the action hero in your own life. You know, they say that when the, when the oxygen masks fall on the airplane, you're supposed to put yours on first before you help anybody else. Right. You really got to realize that to, to become that, that vibrant leader or that dynamic person out in the world, you got to make sure that you are solid and strong first. So take the time to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Ah, oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, that 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 is awesome. See if I see if my retention is good here. Okay, fear is is the, the first one. Fearlessness. Uh, uh, fearlessness. Okay. Right. And then help me out here. The second one focus. is focus. focus. And faith. Then, yeah, the faith is in the middle. It supports the two on the sides. Right. Um, faith. Focus. Faith. Follow through. Follow through. Yep. And flexibility and flexibility. <laughs> so, so here's the way, here's the way it sounds. Fearlessly focus with faith and follow through with flexibility. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I, I hope everybody got that. I'm going to need to write that down. <laughs> well, well, one of the things, here's the thing I really want to do is um, you're, I want to give your audience a free gift. And when I say free, I mean free today's about bringing value, not taking from you. I'm going to give you a link. You can go there. You can download the five F workbook that'll help you go through your own process. Um, now, when I say free, I mean free. It means you're going to go there. You can download it. There's nothing on that page that will sell you anything. There's not even a place on there where that'll take your email address. This is literally just a link to go download it. Uh, because like I said, this is about bringing value, not taking from you. That link is corporateactionhero.com slash gift. It's a really easy one. Corporateactionhero.com slash gift. And you can get the 5F workbook. I, I, I promise you that if you just take the time and actually do the steps, you'll learn a lot about yourself and where you are in, in the process. Well, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that, John. We'll have that link in the show notes, Great. as well as John's social media links, um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, I believe. Um, you, oh, you definitely LinkedIn. <laughs> I, and, I love uh, my LinkedIn. <laughs> so your, your main website uh, will be on there. The free gift. Cor CorporateActionHero.com, yeah. And and take take advantage of um, the 5F's workbook. It's absolutely free. And click on the link in the show notes and definitely I'm going to get a copy of it. <laughs> and, great, I'm gonna, and, I, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do the exercises. I'm going to, I'm going to do the steps myself. It's, it's um, not a long, it's not, a, it's, I think it's like 18 or 20 pages tops. And, oh, and I'm, and you know, it's just real, it's making you think it, the whole book's designed to make you think and go through your process. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and like I said, we'll have links in the show notes. So, uh, you don't have to worry about missing that. Uh, it'll also be on the blog. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. A free gift. I, I'm a Capricorn. I love free stuff. Uh, everybody <laughs> loves free stuff. Um, right. Right. I get a little Scottish blood. <laughs> yeah. A little Scottish. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, the funny joke about the Englishman, the Irishman and the Scot going into the bar and ordering a drink. Right. And nah. the Englishman, the beer comes and he looks down, there's a fly in it. He says, waiter, would you please take this beer away? There's a fly in it. And then the waiter comes and takes it away. And the Irishman says, oh, kind of gets his beer and there's a fly in it. And he goes, oh, look at that. Mm, drinks it down, right? And the third beer comes to the Scott. And the Scott looks at it, sees the fly. He just pulls the fly out and says, spit it out, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> because he's cheap. <laughs> Taking up the beer. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I might have some Scottish in me then because, uh, boy, I, <laughs> I've been told by uh, a long time that I am, uh, I am frugal. You're, and, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're frugal. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I am very frugal. So, 
and surrounded by people who are not. So it's, uh, right, it makes, right. it makes for interesting conversations, but um, <laughs> I'm sure. I, I think that is, I'm, I'm really glad that you covered uh, and there's so much more that we could cover. Uh, right. And I want to encourage the listeners, you know, guys and gals check out John Davis at the corporate action hero.com. Check out his website. He has done all kinds of workshops, seminars. Uh, he has, uh, he's, he's spoken to, you know, a lot of people um, mm -hmm. and, and, just has so so many resources uh for you I to got, tap I, into. I got one more military story i'd like to tell though if you don't mind is is this the story that we we were yeah we were if you don't to? if you don't mind can is, oh, is this absolutely. the right time to do it yeah right. i think i think <laughs> this would be the perfect time to do it um all right i i, I just want to thank you for covering those five f's and get uh, that free gift that uh that john's offering to you tonight right. and we're going to end the the episode uh with a Great story that John has, has kind of given me a heads up on. So pay attention. This is going to be a good one. John, this take it away. <laughs> just, a, just a fun story. So we flew into um, a base called Camp Salerno, forward operating base Salerno. Its nickname was Rocket City. Uh, the base sits down in a valley and at night rockets would come from the Hindu Kush mountains. Imagine, right? <laughs> when we, we flew into that base and we landed in that base and they, uh, as we hit the dirt runway, it came to the end. They spun the plane around. The back gates were dropping open. Everything was happening at twice the speed of normal. And the bait, as the plane spun around, this guy stepped up. He looked like G.I. Joe. He was like the perfect chisel chip. He says, gentlemen, I need you off this plane right now. Don't worry about your stuff. We'll handle it. And he got us off the plane into a truck and inside the compound as fast as possible. So we got inside the compound, and we were getting ready to do our show. And he says, First, let's go get some food. So he takes us over to the DFAC, and we, we get our food. He says, gentlemen, you have five minutes to eat your food. <laughs> so we ate our food as fast as we could. It took us over to the basketball court, and there was a 30-mile-an-hour wind blowing. And he says, uh, he says uh, and, the, and the stage was on the wrong end of the court because the way the wind blowing is they would never hear us. So I said to the colonel, I said, Colonel, I said, they're never going to hear us. He says, well, what, what do you need? He says, it'd be better if that stage was over here. He says, give me a couple minutes. And he, he whistles and like eight Marines run over and pick up the stage and move it to the other side of the basketball. This gigantic <laughs> thing, right? So then he says, he introduces us to our, our, our chaperone on the base. He was a, he was a, a, a young man. He was Filipino. He was earning his, his American citizenship by being in the military. And, and when I asked him why, he said, he says, if I'm going to be an American, then I want to serve the country that I'm, that I'm living in. And so, which I thought was wonderful. So he, he drove us around the base and he took, he took us to, we were staying on the base that night and he took us to our, our bunkhouse. And, and, and it, was, it, was, it was very lighthearted and it was, we were having a good time. He took us into our bunkhouse and he says, all right, gentlemen, I need to give you the lay of the land. He says, this is your bunkhouse. When you walk out the front door, when you walk straight, you're going to find the Cadillac. Now, I'm assuming most of you in the military know what a Cadillac is. Cadillac is the, the bathroom trailer, right? <laughs> he says, straight ahead is the Cadillac. He says, to your right, you're going to see the bomb shelter. To your left, there's a wall. Behind that wall are the Taliban prisoners. <laughs> so we got the Taliban prisoners this way. We got the bomb shelter this way. We got the, the Cadillac straight ahead of us. He says, all right, so tonight, if you hear 
boom, go to the bunker. But if you hear, boom, you're probably okay. Or no, sorry, boom, you're probably okay. <laughs> Incoming or outgoing. <laughs> that was the first base that I ever stayed on that I slept in my shoes. Because <laughs> my biggest fear was I was not going to know where the shh was. Was it before or after? And was it really just me doing the shh in my bunk? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, that was that amazing. I, I would do it. I would go on the, another tour right now if, if if they asked me to. They're not going to ask me to because I'm an old guy now who doesn't, doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. That uh, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that was something. Um, now, the guy that told you that he was the one that was serving in the military to get his citizenship. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And he he was a little tiny guy, but he's like. He says, straight ahead is the Cadillac, right there's the bunker. And then right next to you over here is the 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 uh, Taliban prisoners, which I thought was really interesting that they were so close to us. I'll tell you another one real quick. Uh, when we were on Ramadi, we, they, they had us sleeping in these cans, basically shipping containers turned to bedrooms. And I got up to go use the restroom and I went over to the Cadillac and I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm washing up and I look up and above the mirror was an RPG stuck in the wall. And I, I called the guy and said, is this okay? He said, oh, yeah, they just haven't cleared that out yet. <laughs> it hasn't been cleared. <laughs> it hit and didn't blow up, but it's still sitting there, still loaded. <laughs> that was, that was probably your fastest trip of that tour, right? I said, I, I'm out of there. <laughs> um, I, you know what? Like, like the, it was so, the, being at the USO, they treat USO performers really well. And they let us do all kinds of amazing things, you know. We got what they call the nap of the earth ride in a helicopter where they dropped off the side of a cliff. And we ran a hundred feet off the ground through a valley in a helicopter, which was the coolest thing ever. We got to be in the Camaro when the U-2 spy plane landed. Again, when the, when the U-2 lands, they have a guy on a Camaro on the runway telling the guy to go left or right because the guy can't see because he's in the spacesuit. So we were in the Camaro as the U-2 landed over top of us. Uh, we got to watch um, them, uh, pilot drones in the air it was really just just an amazing experience i you know they treat uso people probably better than we deserved <laughs> well you guys you do an amazing amazing service um i speak for you know uh veterans everywhere uh that have experienced the love and compassion and sincerity of the performers with the uso so i i thank you on behalf of all my veteran uh, brothers and sisters that you uh, went over there and served them uh, while they were uh, protecting all of us. So I really appreciate it. Was, that. It was so. my distinct honor. Thank you very much. And I, I want to thank you for being on the men on a mission podcast. Uh, we covered a lot of uh, uh, amazing information. Uh, the five F's is uh, basically it, you know, it's right in line with, with the podcast because, uh, you know, I want my brothers and sisters to get stronger and love themselves and love one another and become strong leaders and, uh, and become action heroes. Um, well, they are, they already are. They yeah. already are. They, they, they've served and they, they are, they are my hero. No they, they are indeed action heroes in, in my heart and mind as well. Um, some of them lose sight of that. And, uh, and that's another reason for the podcast is to let them know, 
how amazing they are as, as people. So uh, thank you once again, John, uh, I appreciate you being on the podcast. All your links will be in the show notes and uh, we are going to wrap up episode 47. We have been speaking with John Davis, the corporate action hero and, uh, and just a, an amazing guy. So check out his website, get the free gift. Uh, it is free. So uh, go ahead and pick that up and uh, reach out to him on social media. Uh, I'll go ahead and end the episode like I always do. Take care of your little me. Love him or love her. And uh, until next time, take care of yourself. And bye for now.